Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Jacob Martin or the NFT attorney. In 2019 or 2020, buying NFTs were easy. If you bought a Board Ape Yacht Club, BAYC, that was a maybe $200 and you ended up with around $500,000. That's insane. Investing in the NFT space these days or flipping NFTs is no longer as easy. In a bull market, everybody looks like a genius. In this episode, we talk about the NFT market overall, what's overhyped and where there still might be an opportunity. We talk about the open metaverse and even regulation that might be needed in the space to help propel it forward. Reminder that I'm doing these podcasts live on Twitter spaces. I do them from my personal account as well as the podcast account. I hope you can join and ask your questions directly from the guest. It's actually really fun. I'm cutting out the Q&A section, but there's a lot of alpha to be had in these Q&As, that's for sure. Before you listen, please don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast or even better, leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel and or give the video a thumbs up. This really, really helps people find the podcast and keeps this thing going. And I really appreciate it. Enjoy the episode with Jacob Martin. Jacob, welcome to the show. Excited to have you on this morning. Yeah, dude, this will be fun. I, uh, I, I don't think I've seen you since Puerto Rico, right? I didn't see you in Denver. I think we, we both ran in different directions all week. I mean, Denver, 12,000 people running around, <laughs> absolute madness. Pretty much everybody got COVID except right. me somehow. Um, the true East Denver POAP, I hear. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. But I, I'm sure I'll see you in NFTLA next week, right? You know... It's going to be, instead of 12,000 people running around, it's going to be like 60,000 people running around. So I'm sure our chances are still slim, but it'll <laughs> probably work out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wag me. <laughs> cool, man. Well, for the audience um, that's listening to this later, let's start off a little background of you and how you like came to where you are in the space. Totally, man. Yeah, so I, I was in law school a few years ago five years ago, six years ago, when I really learned about smart contracts. And that's me kind of skipping a couple things. But, you know, I went from first kid in my family to go to undergrad, first kid to go to grad school. And then while I was in school, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur instead. So I kind of built a blockchain company focused on smart contracts, doing wills and trusts. So like very useful kind of automated asset distribution. I thought crypto kitties and punks were stupid because they were just JPEGs on smart contract fast forward and apparently everybody loves the jpegs and i love the jpegs why not but you know now everything's headed back towards or everything's headed towards proposed utility so i've been very interested in useful smart contracts for years and then 2021 i kind of positioned myself as one of the few lawyers that like believed in the nft space was in the nft space and and kind of came at it from instead of the big firm angle i came at it from the opposite side so I'm a, a man of the of the people who happens to be a lawyer. So I've helped out with a bunch of interesting projects and companies and artists and tax guide and a few other things I've done along the way. But 
I made way more money investing than I did lawyering. So I had a great year last year and now in the process of raising a, a venture fund with my, my partner, Steven. And, and so we've got two punks capital. And at this point, I do a, a lot of investing and advising more so than lawyering. I do a little bit of lawyering, but I usually pass the lawyering work off to, to lawyers. Definitely. Uh, well, and uh, lawyering, lawyering is tough to scale in a way that's not linear. Right. So definitely, definitely understand that your, your hours are limited. Totally. Well, so let's start off with legal landscape. I mean, within crypto, everybody talks about the you know, the air quote space needs regulation or that it would really help. Let's talk a little bit about the current NFT legal landscape and what pieces would be super helpful in kind of propelling it forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's less it's less about regulation clamping down on things and that being helpful and more more like I think of I think of the lack of regulation like maybe like you're on a highway that's got a ton of traffic but like like so much traffic that you can't go forward but if you know if there was some regulation and there was there would be at least some clarity then maybe there's like a fast lane you know like there's a way you can still go and so a lot of innovators that are like either public public household names or you know have like you know, careers that they don't want to put in jeopardy. Like they can't do things without a little more clarity around what they're allowed to do. And so I'm not personally like huge and like pushing for regulation in the sense that like, I want things to be shut down, but I do totally understand how it frees certain people up. If there's just more clarity around really what they can't do. And it allows you to get really creative in the sections of what can you do. Yeah, I think that's that's helpful. Whatever, there's some somebody that always just says, you know, always invert. So instead of saying like, "What can you do?" Yeah, inverting it and saying, "What can't you do?" Right. Is there an area like a low hanging fruit for crypto entrepreneurs in kind of like navigating these landmines that would be helpful for them, like a helpful mental model here? You know, I think if if you're going if you're going to a law firm at this point, or you're going to multiple and you're trying to do something, I would say if, if you think you're doing something that is sort of like company XYZ, like Uniswap or CyberKongs or whatever it is you're trying to say, well, it's sort of like so-and-so. If you're pointing towards a team that's fully anonymous, fully decentralized, fully offshore, and you're a white dude in Brooklyn, like, it's not the same. You know, like, there's... There's limits to what you can do as like a known person with like a doxed team onshore in the United States. So, you know, I would say don't don't think that just because it seems to exist that it's like a legal or b a good idea. Like the the mere the mere fact of existence is not good enough for you to like build your own business around simply because someone else has a thing that exists. Yeah, I think I think that's super helpful. The, the 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 classic, well, this person's doing it, so it must be okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Very valid. Cool. Well, I, I mean, I know we talked a bit before and you're spending a lot more time investing, advising kind of away from lawyering. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go too deep into the uh, legal landscape. So let's this is being recorded um, end of March. Let's just 
set the stage for the NFT landscape overall. Like, where are we in this hype cycle overall investment thesis, whatever, whatever sort of information would be helpful in kind of setting the stage on where we are right now? Hmm. Yeah, so I would say that we're in an interesting spot where uh, a fact that I, a stat that I heard last week really kind of blew my mind was, you know, we've reached the era where a rare NFT likely shouldn't be placed above the price of a board ape because a board ape has proven utility that basically the floor of apes is more valuable than the rarest, like kind of profile picture NFT from any other project, which is like a fascinating thought process. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, how much I get behind that, but I think we're kind of in this state of the market where like Yuga owns the world and board apes are the, are the crown jewel of the average consumer's understanding of NFTs. And that is a really, really interesting thing because it didn't even take them a year to build a company that's now raised at a, you know, seemingly at like a $4 billion valuation and, you know, has a market cap that's absolutely insane. And there's no way this was thought to be possible a year ago. And, you know, then they went and bought punks and Meebits and they're likely buying cool cats and world of women and, you know, whatever else it looks like. But conceptually, I think and hope that this is kind of the kickstart to, although Yugo will kind of own the underpinning of it, I think, you know, hopefully they're the ones that are going to be in charge of basically building out whatever the open metaverse is, you know, or, or helping really put frameworks around what it can mean to have a, a looser, loose, looser censored metaverse experience than whatever it is that Facebook would likely put up. So, you know, I think, I think that's, I don't know, I don't know what you're saying, but I think that's a really interesting kind of spot where like play to earn gaming is kind of in its infancy still. And after the boom last year has kind of fallen off really hard. Bryce is one of the bigger, Kind of streamers and voices and play to earn gaming posted last week a video called play to earn gaming is dead which very clickbaity of you bryce but it doesn't make it wrong and yeah those are like two of the kind of sectors where i see pretty i guess pretty interesting market sentiment um and then a lot of the pitch decks i'm seeing every day right now are like people still trying to like iterate on and understand like you know, are they going to go towards like social tokens? Do they want to, you know, DAOs. Everything is a DAO now, even though most of the people I talk to don't have a lawyer that knows what a DAO is. And also they don't really know what a DAO is themselves. They just want to call it a DAO. So I think the market's in kind of an interesting, like not necessarily like overall bearish position, but in a position where like, I think a lot of people are messing with stuff they don't understand right now in a way that I think a year ago, most people who were out front innovating were like, innovating from a place of like depth of knowledge right now i think we're seeing a lot of people just kind of migrating either kind of from web two to web three or from doing something within web three to doing something else that they think is more lucrative and not necessarily having any of the like grounding or backing necessary to do that well um, i feel like that may have been a couple of controversial takes so you should respond to that yeah no no i think <laughs> well the first one is i i mean it's absolutely bonkers, Yuga Labs being considered like the crown jewel and, and building up all of this in the past year. So, I mean, kudos to them, but then having them as the poster child for this open metaverse and kind of, you know, setting up Meta at Meta X Facebook, we'll continue to say that until people like accept it, I guess, but um, as 
as like the bad guy in the more walled garden version of the metaverse. But, and by the way, I completely agree on the play to earn thing is like that, that is also a whole nother topic, but let's, let's double click on the open metaverse just for people later listening. I mean, what does an open metaverse look like? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with my ability to log in to some kind of like digital landscape, whether that's the internet or that's VR, AR, whatever it is, playing video game, whatever I'm doing, like in theory, we should be able to log in without having to have like login credentials to a centralized system. So to use an Oculus, having to give Facebook your your details and have a Facebook account, like I know plenty of people who just won't use it because that's such a like personal data information like gather where they're just gathering everything you're doing and looking at and you know that they're going to adjust your your ads and like all the things in your life are going to be adjusted based on the fact that they already know what you like and they're kind of in your head you know so i think if we have any push towards decentralized anything decentralized information decentralized technology decentralized ownership then we should also definitely be moving towards like as decentralized as possible, like data gathering and, and experiential stuff. So to me, you know, having having your data fully tracked while you're experiencing all the things you're experiencing is like a really uh, a big no no. And you know, if you're if you're going to KYC with Christie's before you buy art, there's no reason that they should be keeping your personal information on a server somewhere in the back. Like, I should be able to log in, show you my data, and leave. Right. Like you agreed that I was KYC or you agreed that I exist as a human. I make my purchase and then you don't keep my data on your server. I just don't see any reason for centralized ownership of, of consumers data and any there's no no argument for that to me. So I think I think that they're also taking it, you know, potentially a step further. That'll be what will be more interesting to see with with Yuga is this like, you know, board ape owners own their own board eight like they can kind of do what they want with their own asset and so seeing like to what extent we can take that where you see the toads were in the, the trailer you see you know this kind of cco concept like it'll be really interesting to see if the idea of an open metaverse whatever that means is basically the future of decentralized internet use decentralized video gaming decentralized vr is a place where like all content can be like user-generated content based on IP you own or IP you don't. And it doesn't really matter because if it exists, it's in the sandbox and that means you can play with it. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily like the best outcome, but I do think that that is the concept of kind of an open metaverse is that you figure out what digital scarcity is and kind of who owns that scarcity. And that's usually provenance based on, you know, the board apes are the ones that created the first 10,000 and you can see the contract. So anything else is fool's gold, but that doesn't mean that there's any reason for them to stop you from using the apes however you want in that fool's gold scenario. I don't know. That's kind of my, my high level musing on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of this ends up moving quite close into like the web three identity stack and permission to access as we continue down more and more open metaverse, that that will become more and more of a focus within the space. But I'm curious, like looking at the space, a lot of us here are in our own echo chamber. We're kind of crypto permables. Where could things go wrong? What valid 
arguments do non-crypto people have? Because they have plenty, but, you know, there's bound to be a few valid arguments. Yeah, you know, I think I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see the kind of like Facebook and Fortnite competition to these decentralized concepts where they're just going to come in and give you something that is centralized in nature, but they're going to make it really, really cool. Like amazingly cool. And like, here's a thousand dollars to sign up, right? Like big, bad boogeyman dystopian future. Like here's your free Oculus headset. Come play, right? Like here's your free headset. Make sure to log in with your Facebook account and go enjoy yourself. And I think we're going to see the kind of like casual consumer very easily kind of swayed and introduced into a world of centralization um, where they don't agree with you that they feel any need to protect their own personal identifying information. Like they don't care if they give up their PII or if you know what they play. If anything, they might be sheepish enough to agree that they want you to know what they like. That way you can bring them a better experience time you know would be fascinatingly terrible situation situation to be in uh for the market so again like i'm not i'm not 100 sure on that i'm kind of still trying to figure it out myself but i think i think a, a a centralized promise of like benefit like like the benefits that a centralized entity with open-ended capital can offer is a problem. And then, you know, secondarily, I think, you know, the U.S. government and others are going to move into like a, a digital kind of U.S. dollar probably of some sort and try to regulate USDC and U.S. Tether like out of existence or, you know, de-incentivize its use in some way. So it'll just be like, you know, easily inflatable, deflatable and, and all the other words you can come up with. Um, so I think that would be, again, one of those where like the average consumer could be convinced that like they like the idea, that, like they like the centralized version more than the decentralized version because there's some benefit that they get from it in a way that they don't, you know, fully understand what they're giving up per se. And so I think there's a lot of room for for kind of convincing the average consumer of things that they like and don't like when they don't really know what they like and don't like. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and these big institutions have the power to almost influence and tell us what we like and don't right, like exactly, because of exactly. the sheer power of these network effects. So it, it definitely... And, and the other thing is, like, do people care? So right. it's like, for most of us in the West, like, decentralization is just... It means crappy user experience versus like the ability to truly own and uncensorable content and all of these things so that it actually adds value. It just means that it's harder and more expensive for the average user in many cases, which is right. totally, totally the case. I'm curious, something that kind of shook me a bit. I mean, have you seen the line go up or number go up video on NFTs? It had like six million views or something i don't know at yeah, this yeah. time but yeah. you know it was a skeptic's take on crypto on nfts and i think he has some valid concerns there overly focused on price hyper financialization the in versus out crowd like but all kind of coming back to this focus on the line going up as like the core rallying cry for these nft communities 
Do you have any any thoughts or responses on that video in general? You know, I think I think one of the one of the most interesting kind of concepts is like if you were there or if you kind of knew the right people, then you made a ton of money or you made the most money. And, you know, like the number go up, like there's kind of influencers and influential like things and whatnot. Like that's like, none of that is technically wrong, right? Like a lot of that is like, it's a very small market of people kind of trading back and forth to one another, uh, a lot of these assets. And I mean, if I had had more money to work with, I feel like I would have made more money along the way. So I think some of the, some of the concerns from, from that were like, fair that's why you know i actually just posted on linkedin this morning kind of like which i post every now and then because people are funny on linkedin and they don't really know much but it's really funny when they respond and you know i think the average kind of linkedin consumer the average corporate american consumer is really just like oh nfts are just pictures like they really are just pictures and some of the pictures make me money and some of them don't and for me like that's why i kind of say you know my background came from a place where like I was working on smart contracts for what I thought was like useful stuff, like wills and trusts, like, like, like real useful use cases that had this perceived utility and like, like practical, practical utility, not just perceived utility. Whereas, you know, the current market is just very like dominated by JPEGs. And I think if you're following the kind of right crowd around here, like, people are building really interesting things and people are, are, are really digging in on, on what I think is going to be, you know, I don't know, NFT 2.0, NFT, you know, web three, whatever you want to call it. I just think, I think the JPEGs and the kind of digital identity and digital branding associated are super cool. And I, I have large JPEG bags, but at the same time, like that's not half as cool as, like what a truly decentralized internet would look like, right? Like a, a frictionless censorship free decentralized use case for the future of the internet. And so that's, that's the kind of stuff that I'm like looking to invest in and looking to spend my time on. But I do think that like for the average casual consumer, that's like poking around with NFTs or poking around with like what's going on. They probably could watch that video and just walk away from NFTs altogether and just be like, ah, Never mind. That seems like more trouble than it's worth. And you know, I think for some people, they wouldn't they wouldn't be wrong that they weren't they didn't want to wade through all of the stuff to figure out what was actually here that was worth their time. Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, that there is an onslaught of nonsense that happens in the space. That's for sure. I'm I'm curious. Like, you know, I'm not sure how much of this is public, but you've been very successful from a like flipping JPEGs, trading crypto mm-hmm. or, and, and, and JPEGs, NFTs sort of standpoint, which now you have your fund. I'm curious what sort of strategies used to work, which don't work anymore, or just kind of mm-hmm. the overall new approach for air quote investing in JPEGs at this point in the market. Yeah, I think, I think every, I realized this probably in August last year, I think, I think the NFT space goes through a relatively well-defined like 60 day super cycle. Um, I think every 60 days there are just enough new people that onboard just enough new projects that launch and just enough like 
new people that kind of cycle out of trading that to me, I think, I think it's roughly a 60 day super cycle. Um, and I kind of operate on that. So like every, every 60 days, I'm kind of like, okay, where are we at now? What's going on? I think, you know, early last year, there was really like, most of the market was driven by clubhouse early last year. Most, most of the market was like very, um, like I had this conversation or I had this kind of small, I don't know, argument conversation with Pac one time where I was just like, why are you working with an institution? And he said, without institutions, there would be no curation. Without curation, there would just be like a sea of nothingness and you wouldn't know where the good art is, which I thought was really fascinating for someone who seems to be like a decentralization art maxi, you know, but for him to do a clubhouse space and kind of work with an institution, it helped kind of put him at this peak of like okay like he's he's great he's the best so to me i think early last q1 last year was basically clubhouse influenced only a few big buyers were in play you know a few kind of influencers were in play q2 last year was still clubhouse but like board apes came out q2 last year a lot of people started kind of migrating over to twitter and i guess we'll I guess during Q1 last year, the CryptoPunk chat, like the punk discord was the other kind of alpha spot. And then once it became like, once everybody kind of migrated to Twitter, like mid to late Q2 last year, I think there was just this season of watching everyone kind of be like, try to be like pranksy and just like buy as much as possible, flip as much as possible, like mint every project. So then we got gas wars and mint passes and Dutch auction, you know, basically the market matured. A little bit so buying 10 of something and flipping them became much less successful and, and common you know for me i i got into kind of photography really early i ended up with a couple of justin Aversano's twin flames and i ended up kind of flipping those really hard although I, I wish i would have been able to keep them but for me to play the game last year you know i started with about four grand and i've turned four grand into you know, quite a lot at this point. So it required a lot of kind of sacrifice along the way of, of taking profits on things and reinvesting and looking for, for multiples. I think at this point in the market, there's like, like a lot less projects that catch the full attention of the market. And so you have to be, you have to be right more often now. Whereas early last year, like I minted Slum Doge and Craniums and like, two other things all within like the same week and profited like three or four ETH off of just minting five or six each and selling all of them. You know, like I wouldn't do that today at all. And I definitely wouldn't expect it to work if I did do it. So I think the market's really kind of matured. I think pricing has gotten a little clearer. Um, you know, there's less like rugs on a daily basis than there were at one point. And yeah, I don't do much flipping anymore. Like I buy things I like that are, that are like low-ish priced and I hope they go up 10x, but I'm not, I don't really like jump into like volume-based, kind of volume-based like pumps to, to flip assets. That's just not how I spend my time. So I don't know. That's kind of like a long, not incredibly clear answer, but that's my thought <laughs> no, process. That, that actually was super helpful and it's absolutely crazy with the clubhouse influence for sure. And I mean, my initial thought is like number go up everybody's a bull market genius it's That's super right. easy and now <laughs> it's uh the, the market is I, I i'm putting air quotes again like with maturing and you know because yeah. i still think it's a long way off before it's an efficient market for sure but i i'd be curious like you know i get asked this all the time for not like 
a crypto curious type person who's wanting to get some NFT exposure or get into NFT trading, where do you point people like this? Or you just say, stay away or invest in your fund, I guess, at this point. It depends on their, <laughs> their bankroll. <laughs> you know, the fund, like, we're only buying some NFTs. We're not, it's not like a major portion of what we're doing over there. So it's not a, <laughs> that's not my number one recommendation. But yeah, I think people who want to get in, like, I really probably spend a good chunk of time with them asking why, you know, like, why do you want to get in? What kind of exposure and like upside are you really like wanting and hoping for? And if someone is like serious about, about getting into NFTs, then, you know, I think, I think we're at the point where if you can afford it, frankly, if you can afford it and you just want exposure, I think you should start with like whatever the kind of most expensive stuff is and work your way down. You know, like if someone could afford a punk or an ape and they're just wanting like NFT exposure and kind of get in here and learn it, I think they may as well just buy one of those because I believe in them to outperform the market over the next five years. And, you know, that's not like a 10x their money recommendation, but it's sure going to outperform the standard like S&P. So, you know, if somebody can afford a punk or an ape, I'd say start there. If not, you know, or if they're not ready to take the plunge, then you start looking for stuff that's kind of in that like one to three ETH range and see if something stands out to them and they really like it. And if they just want to become kind of a degenerate trader, then, you know, it's more important to follow, you know, a hundred of the right people on Twitter and join a few discords. And, and if anything, you know, one of my friends, let's see, he might still, he might be in this room right now. He was earlier. Now he's not here now. One of my buddies, when he first got into NFTs, um, he's the one that told me about Azuki's, right. And he minted one for one ETH and it was his first ever NFT purchase. And it was after just like, you know, two weeks of poking around and learning as much as he could. And then he's like, Hey, I'm minting this thing for one ETH. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's one ETH for mint price. That's insane. And he's like, yeah, but it's worth it. Their team's amazing. I'm like, all right, whatever, man, like, good luck. And what do you know? Like he made, you know, 40, 50 grand on it. And that's like, you know, huge for, for any consumer, not just your average consumer or your new consumer. That's a huge amount of money. So seeing stuff like that has been really you know, it's, it's hard to give someone the perfect advice coming into the market. Cause I also like taking that of the Azuki guy in mind, like I told him to sell the Azuki at three ETH pre-reveal. Cause I'm like, dude, it's your first NFT. You're up eight grand. That's plenty of money to turn around and go try something else or check out something else, you know, and, and go again. And he was like, well, I think I'm actually going to stick with it. And he was right. So, you know, definitely can't say that I'm, I'm always right on this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I just think of that New York Times article. It was titled, Everyone is Getting Hilariously Rich and You're Not. And it was like right at the top <laughs> of the last bull market. And I just like, because it's, it's, it's just that. And there's a meme on Twitter that's like, you know, the NFT that you didn't buy going up and to the right and everything you bought when it going down. And it's like, you hear so many of these stories right. that it's it's very important to ask why I, I appreciate that because you know if they want to a hundred thousand x their their money then like it's a very different strategy from hey i just want good exposure to nfts as an asset class as a diversifying asset in my portfolio mm -hmm. you know there's there's people that think that way i'm, I'm curious so talking about that 60-day cycle, primarily fun, funneled by or fueled by new people entering entering the space. What catalysts do you see 
to kind of onboard the next big group of people into the space? You know, I've been waiting for a while now for like a musician or an entertainer of influence to really articulately explain that they're getting into NFTs and why. I've chatted with several, kind of several top musicians and a couple of athletes and they're all they're, like, there's a bunch of people that are super curious, but a lot of them are, are holding off on making their decision, which I think is smart. But I, I think, I don't know if it's going to be the next run, but there's going to be a run at some point where, you know, Mr. Beast or the D'Amelios or Harry Styles or Tyler, the creator or somebody Kanye like meaningfully gets involved. And I think that's going to be probably one of those moments where it's like the largest spike of all time is going to be someone with a hundred million plus reach coming in meaningfully. I think maybe this next wave where we're at right now, I'm seeing a lot of people reach out to me about NFTs around like, I think, I think viral content and like social clubs is going to be the next, like, like not social clubs as in friends with benefits, but not far off, but social clubs as in fan clubs for for entertainers is going to be probably Q2, Q3 this year. I think we're going to see some interesting things launch. Not to say that like that's the best use case for NFTs, but I think it's an interesting use case for onboarding mass amounts of consumers to crypto at the same time. And I think, I just think, kind of the DeFi dream of onboarding people is like, I just don't think DeFi is going to be the thing. So I'm really curious to hear from you. Like, what do, what do you think is going to be the next wave? Like from, from your conversations and what you're seeing. In terms of like catalyst to bring in more people in the space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think this metaverse, like the metaverse push is a big one. It's funny. I have this same presentation that I've been giving, like it's titled NFTs more than just art and i've been giving nice. it since like june 2020 and i keep <laughs> updating the same presentation but i've saved the old one so like you know it, it started off like facebook has determined that they will be a metaverse company and then yeah. like the latest one are just the that headlines are bonkers right so i think <laughs> this just like continues us down this path i think there's there's a very strong like us versus them narrative within the space, mm. which you touched on of like Facebook as the walled garden. But, you know, if they make this more of an open metaverse, then things will get funky, which, you know, I look forward to. But uh, it's it's this continuous like movement of like NFTs are not just art. They could be these assets within this metaverse that you bundle up and take a loan against. And it's an uncorrelated asset. I mean, there's a lot of like similar narratives leading to the same thing so still cautiously bullish but i do worry about the uh, like 2018 article everything everybody's getting hilariously rich and you're not sort of mentality with a lot of this that's for sure i did have a thought this morning as i was stuck behind a rolls royce at a red light and i had this like moment where i'm like huh that's the same as me seeing literally any of my friends with a punk or an ape as their <laughs> as so their profile true. picture, and I'm just like I can't I can't name how many people I know that have Rolls Royces because it's like four people, but I can name literally literally a few thousand people that I know that are for sure wealthy enough to own at least 
a digital Rolls Royce. And that is somewhere between a head scratcher because like, wow, we're so early. And also like, oh God, maybe we're, maybe we're too early. <laughs> if literally all of my friends own Rolls Royce JPEGs, maybe we should consider di- divesting a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah. No, and I mean, this was part of my like original thesis of just the virtual flex being so hard, mm. uh, so, so strong. It's true, right? And these people with verified punks on their Twitter, and you're like, that's, that thing's in a hot wallet. Like, come on, guys, yeah, take care yeah, of the yeah. OPSEC a little bit better, you know? Right. I'd be curious right now, your, we've talked a lot about like investment thesis within the space and kind of where it's going, but like next six months, what segment or vertical within the NFT space are you most hyped on? And then the follow on would be which one is so very much overhyped at the moment? Mm, it's a good question. I think I think DAOs are too overhyped right now. I still don't think I've seen almost. I don't want to say any, but I see out of out of every ten DAOs that people bring up to me, after a half hour conversation, they're usually just like, "Huh, maybe we don't need to make it a DAO." I'm just like, I'm waiting for you to prove to me that it needs to be a DAO, or that you can promise me it's going to be a better, more efficient company because it's a DAO. And it's almost never, never better off as a DAO. So I think I'm cautiously like optimistic that someone is going to figure it out and that a few people are going to figure it out. But at the end of the day, like I stay more kind of bearish on the idea that everything should be a DAO and that that would make life better. And then the things that I am excited about though, is I think we're getting, I think I'm seeing more and more like NFT based use cases that aren't profile pictures. So like Miguel Faust is fully funding his film. I think it's Kayadita. It's C-A-L-L-A-D-I-T-A. He's, he's funding his whole film with NFTs right now. And he, he went about it in a way where like, he's not promising you equity or upside in the film. He just made a really cool process where like you get a one of one NFT. That's like a photograph still from a, a split second in time during the movie. And I think that's a really cool way to chop up a big piece of art into a whole bunch of one-of-ones and then kind of the top contributors get, you know, opportunities to come help work on the film or like be involved in cast parties or whatever. Like to me, that kind of use case is really interesting for, for NFTs where it's just like more involvement between creators and collectors. And so I, I'm, I'm bullish on, on, innovation right now i think i don't think making something a DAO is per se an innovative thing to do but i think we're going to see some really really innovative things in the next next few months cool jacob really appreciate you coming on today i think it was a great conversation yeah and i'm looking forward to publishing this thing with all the links and everything we talked about so thanks so much there you go first off thank you very much for listening all the way through i hope you got a lot of value out of that conversation As always, you can find show notes, links, and more at altassetallocation.com. Please share this with anyone you think might be interested and derive any value from this conversation. And as always, you can reach out to me for any feedback or questions. Please give the video a like or even better subscribe on YouTube or your podcast player of choice. This really helps others find the podcast or the video as well. Thanks a lot. Hope everybody has a fantastic day and stay safe out there and invest wisely. Cheers. 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 Cheers.
Cheers. Cheers.